guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you for joining your hosts, Tierra and Jack, what is now episode number 96. Before we get stuck into this episode, we just wanted to remind you guys that if you do enjoy these episodes, please remember to repost them onto your social media. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, it would mean a lot to us if you could please leave us a five-star review. And if you are interested in our coaching services, you can head over to our website just by searching the Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google. You can also find the link on the show notes below or any of our Instagram bios as well. And just a heads up, we don't just coach comp prep competitors, we coach anyone with a health and fitness goal. Awesome. Okay, so jumping into episode 96 for another Q&A today. So this first question, kicking it off with, how do you decide on if or when you should compete? Now, I really like this question, you know, because there's no doubt that when people get involved in bodybuilding, they do it for different reasons, especially when they are approaching their very first show, right? And I feel as though there's probably two main crowds. There's those that compete more for the experience, and then there's more those that compete to actually be competitive, right? And make the absolute most of the experience. And I think that the way that we're probably going to approach this is from the latter, right? Because we absolutely love our sport, right? We live and breathe bodybuilding. This is just what we do. And, you know, I have so much respect for the sport that I'm always going to come from it from a place of if you want to compete, right? I think that it is in your best interest to make the most of it and truly be competitive, right? That means starting off with a very healthy relationship with your body, healthy relationship with food, a great relationship with training, a great starting body composition in a really good headspace so that, you know, you can really make the most of your competitive journey and that journey to stage to truly just bring your best. So that's kind of where I come from it, from this question. But what do you think? Yeah, I think I'm personally in the same boat as you, but I think, as you said, it's very important to recognize that everyone does it differently. And like we were talking about this off air and we were talking about like the relevance to a marathon or any other sort of sport, like recreational sport where even like recreational soccer or uni uni football or whatever it may be. Like, again, going back to a marathon, people might do it. They might rock up, rock up on the day. They might sign up the day before and they might, might run and someone, they might do well. They might run half of the way. They might do a bit of walking. They might drink some water in between mm-hmm. or get a coffee break, whatever. And there's some people who might do it for the first time and have a really bad experience. They mm-hmm. might they hit the wall in terms of the glycolytic threshold or whatever. They might get heat, heat stroke. They might get dehydrated. Uh, yeah. They might have a stomach upset from the food they ate. They might twist an ankle, you know, and not be able to finish the race. Like, yeah. Uh. And then, then you're going to have people in the middle who are running recreationally, but they're actually pretty into it. So they go on for runs regularly and they want to do the marathon as a, char- as a challenge. They might do their job might be completely unrelated to sport there and stuff. So they just do it for fun, but still competitively. And then you're going to have different spectrums. So you're going to have the people at the top tier who want to win it, who practice every day. That's Mm -hmm. their life to train. 
And it's the same for bodybuilding, but... <laughs> I think that's such a good point, right, to make, is that obviously if you are getting involved in any sport, there's going to be different tiers of athletes, right? Mm. And everyone is going to have a different starting position, but also everyone's going to have different expectations of the sport and different expectations of themselves and what they're truly trying to get out of it. Mm, definitely. I would say, and I said this to you before, like the where bodybuilding differs is that you don't just rock up to show day having not done any preparation. <laughs> but then I made the joke in that they actually still do leave registration open until like two days before the show. And we've all heard a story, right? Where someone's like, ah, I kind of feel like competing this weekend, yeah. you know? So they sign up and they get a tan and they get on stage. It happens. Mm. <laughs> yeah, basically what what I'm trying to say is like, it differs to other sports in that, sure, in a marathon or a fun run, you can just rock up and do it. And sure, you could do that for bodybuilding, but it kind of defeats the whole purpose of the mm-hmm. sport because unless you are walking around in the condition required year round, which is possible for some divisions like ICM bikini or this new streetswear division, which <laughs> I won't talk too much about and <laughs> so on and so forth. But doing it, you can't just rock up for bodybuilding or figure or even probably fitness. And unless you really are maintaining that condition, which I would argue isn't that healthy anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess that we can kind of delve into the discussion from here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's called a bodybuilding competition for a reason. It's also called comp prep for a reason because you are preparing to be competitive. You are entering into a competition, right? You're going to be standing up against other people. And at the end of the day, right, you're trying to be your best and you're trying to be the best, right? Like I think that everyone should try to go into a competition with a winning mindset and with self-confidence, right? Yeah, totally. And I guess before we waffle off any longer, we'll get stuck into the first main topic of this question, which is how to decide if you should compete. Yeah, so how to decide if competing actually is right for you. Now, I know that a lot of people will set competing as the ultimate goal, right? Like one day I want to step on a bodybuilding stage, right? And man, kudos to you, right? You and I both had that goal, you know, many years ago because we wanted to achieve that, right? And we did achieve Mm. that. And I think it's so wonderful to set that goal, but I think that you also have to tick a few boxes first before you can actually fully commit to that goal. Like, I don't think that you should necessarily set the goal of, I want to get onto a bodybuilding stage, right? If you don't already have a healthy relationship with food, if you don't already have a healthy relationship with your body, if you aren't already regularly exercising and going to the gym, right? I think that it is really, really important to actually nail some fundamentals and actually demonstrate to yourself that, man, I actually love this lifestyle. You know, this is actually something that I genuinely love to do. It makes me feel really good. It makes me feel really empowered, right? I love the frame of mind that I'm in because like, I don't think that you should just compete to be motivated. I don't think that you should just compete to be disciplined or be adherent. Like I would argue that you should already be motivated. You should already be disciplined and you should already be adherent before you enter into a competition. Right. And as well, in terms of changing your body composition, like, yes, of course, there's no denying. We all love what we look like when we get, you know, stage lean. It's very exciting. You know, Mm. it's really freaking cool, right? To see your body and really see all of your 
hard work unveil. It's, it's amazing. There's no denying that. And there's no denying that self-confidence comes with it. Of course, right? Like you and I, we probably do feel more confident taking photos when we're like, you know, lean shredded beans compared to, you know, when we're eating rest day roasts in the improvement season. But even then, that doesn't mean that we absolutely despise our physiques in the improvement season, right? Like we always have a healthy relationship mm. with our body. But I, I would personally, I would say mine is the same. I used to care a bit more mm-hmm. about how I looked when I was higher body fat. Now mm-hmm. I couldn't care less. Like yeah. I'm very confident. Yeah. I wouldn't even say confident is a word, uh, is the word I would use. It's more just comfortable, comfortable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a really nice way of putting it. Mm. Yeah. So I think that you should definitely feel comfortable in your own body composition, regardless of whether or not, you know, you're going to be getting on a stage in a few months time or something. Right. I think that is really important. So taking off those few boxes before you actually decide, okay, maybe I actually could enter into a competition because man, I'm telling you, like, if you've got poor body image issues, if you have a poor relationship with food, like if you have a poor relationship with training and you actually genuinely don't enjoy it, actually then like forcing yourself Mm. to do a competition, honestly, it's only going to make Mm. those things worse. Yeah, because we're, we're not denying that doing a comp prep can make those things worse. Mm. And it probably does for a lot of people because you're depriving yourself of energy. So, and you're potentially messing up with your hormones, just the mentally how you think as well. So going and forcing yourself to do training when you don't want to do it, uh, forcing yourself not to eat food when you want to eat food, all that kind of stuff is, is really difficult. And doing that, you need a f- very firm, secure reason as to why you want to do that. Otherwise, I guess the my route of thinking as well, what's the kind of the point of competing if you're not going to get up there and be the best you? Mm-hmm. Like if you're not, if you're going to shortchange yourself and do a five week prep or like cheat on the diet, not do the training sessions required, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, like I feel like we take this so seriously, you know, that it's just out of the question that no, like you're committed to this, right? You don't go off plan with your eating. You don't miss the training session, right? Like it's just, it's like a, it's, it's out of the question. It it doesn't, it doesn't even happen. Mm. Right. So yeah. And I guess, so deciding on if you should compete, right? I think that it's really important to actually sit down with someone who has competed before and hopefully a coach as well. And they can be very upfront and honest with you too about what to actually expect. Because if you go onto social media, right? Like you see everyone up there on stage and they're smiling and they're tan, right? And they're they're glowing and they've got a big sparkly bikini on, you know, or like some really nice posing trunks or, you know, who knows, a really nice pair of jeans if you're into the streetwear division, whatever it may be, these people, they look, you know, like they look sensational, right? But you only see the end product. You don't actually see what happened during their six month prep or the years prior to that, to actually get to that point. And you need someone to sit down with you and tell you like, not just it's actually really tough, Mm. but actually explain to you what's actually so tough about it. So like, Jack, what are some, some things like some heads up that are actually really tough that you need to consider before you commence a prep? Well, I'm going to backspace quickly to what you said about the period before the prep, Mm -hmm. because you couldn't be the most dedicated person in the world and that'll help you a lot in a prep. It'll mean you'll get it done. But there's a big difference between 
getting it done and having a poor starting point versus having that important lead up prior to the prep and having a successful prep. Mm-hmm. So if someone comes to us, like right now, we're, we're 21 weeks out from season A right now. Mm-hmm. More than likely, if someone comes up to us right now, even though we know they're very de- dedicated, it's unlikely we're going to say yes to a prep mm-hmm. for season A. Yeah, so, yeah, of course, so. you know, but that's the thing that like, yes, you, you want to take on more clients, right? But also you don't want to be so client hungry that you're actually willing to sacrifice people's experience of their first competition prep. Cause that matters a lot, right? Mm. Like someone's very first experience of actually competing is pretty heavily going to dictate their attitude towards competing for the rest of their life and actually their desire of whether or not they actually want to do it again. You know, so I take so much pride in actually my first time competitors ensuring that they have a very good experience, right? Like that matters so much to me because, uh, you know, I love this sport and I want other people to love this sport too. And I want them to see the good side of it, right? Like, yes, uh, there's no denying that it's tough. There's no denying that people need to knuckle down and diet, right? And expend a lot of energy and stuff like that. But there's, there's definitely multiple ways to do it, but Absolutely. You know, even in, even this, these past few weeks, I have had client inquiries with people saying like, I would like to do season a next year, you know, and I get them to send through pictures of themselves, body composition wise and stuff like, and yeah, even if we knuckled down and, you know, in the next 20 weeks, like we did lose 10 kilograms or something like, yeah, it's doable, but man, I'm, I'm not willing to put myself in that position. Mm. Like I will say no. And I think you should respect a coach so much. If a coach says no, like, no, let's actually aim for a later date. So you can Mm. truly bring your best and truly be competitive. If a, if you go to a coach eight weeks out, right. And they know in their heart, they're like, this person is going to step on stage and they're not going to be in the best shape, right? We're going to have to dig like crazy and they're still not going to be lean enough. I am going to sacrifice their health markers, right? Like, man, ugh, mm. I, I could never do that to someone. And, that, and that's something that I wanted to kind of discuss as well is that obviously we're called the bodybuilding dietitians, but it's not like we've been coaching for about 1.5 years now. We've had a decent amount of competitors, but definitely not a lot Mm -hmm. like we don't have a full team every season of like five to ten people and i think we can attribute a lot of that to not like as soon as someone inquires with us for comp prep we go okay you're competing next season let's do it if if they're not in an optimal position like energy availability wise if they're not training correctly all that kind of stuff we're not just going to let them continue training in an inoptimal environment or not eating like starting prep in a very poor situation with food. Mm -hmm. So that's why we take them through extended off seasons and kind of explain to them. We always, I'm definitely a big person giving my clients options. I always like, for example, are we going to track macros? Are we going to go for a different route? Um, Like a revised meal plan, whatever it may be. And I give them that option with competing as well. Like, do you want to compete now? You're probably going to have to drop food a lot lower. You're going to be probably hungrier. Training might suffer more versus competing in a year's time when your energy availability will be mm-hmm. higher. You'll have more muscle mass. The end product will probably be more competitive, all that kind of stuff. And it all depends on their goals. If someone has the goal to comp- compete competitively versus someone who 
wants to get up, who enjoys the fitness lifestyle and wants to get up on stage but doesn't really have any aspirations for like a pro card or anything mm-hmm. they're two different things yeah that's such a good point you know and that's the reason why like we take so much pride in our work and we truly care about you know people's journeys people's experiences most importantly people's health right and i would argue that every competitor that we have put up on stage has been top quality you know because we've ensured that they are reaching the standard that it's required for them for that category we're taking care of their health in the best possible way and we're always taking them you know through improvement season pre-preps right through that prep and that's just so important to us so that's why We've been coaching for only a year and a half, and that's why I've actually got a lot more clients competing next year in 2021 when they signed up with me in 2019 or even 2022, right? Because bodybuilding, it's a long game, right? Mm. It's a really long game. And again, as a coach, like, you know, your clients are your work, right? You really are showcasing your work through your clients by actually putting physiques up on stage that are a top standard, right? So um, that's the thing, like, I'm just, first of all, like, I'm just not willing to sacrifice an individual's health just to drop a bunch of weight, get a tan, get in a bikini and get on stage and smile. Like, I'm always going to be honest with people and say, no, like, let's give this more time. You know, COVID was obviously an exception because we used to always be able to stay. The stage will always be there. (laughs) Right. But man, maybe not in 2020, but hopefully in 2021 and all years to follow. Let's hope we don't go through another pandemic. But, you know, really the stage in the future, it's really always going to be there. There's season A and there's season B here in Australia. In the U.S., man, they've got shows like every freaking weekend, okay? So, like, if you're not quite ready yet, then pick a later date. You're only going to be better, right? Mm. And you should really, really respect a coach if they are upfront and honest with you from the start and say, no, like, you know, let's let's do next season, right? Yeah. You're going to have a much more enjoyable time. You're going to have a much better prep. And on that note, if, if, it, if you know you're holding a decent amount of body fat and you know the leanness required and a coach says, yep, let's get started tomorrow, then you, gotta, you have to question that a little bit or at mm-hmm. least get a second opinion about how much realistically you're going to have to lose. Because yeah. what if you have to lose 20 kilos? Yeah. And that's what I actually explain to people. If someone sends me through their progress photos, you know, through email and they're like, I know we're about 20 weeks out right now, but I predict that, you know, they have 15 kilograms to lose. I'll tell them, you know, like our rate of loss would be between 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week, right? In order to maximally retain your muscle mass and maintain your health and your energy availability. Given that we have 15 kilograms to lose, even if we lost at 1% of your body weight per week, we still probably wouldn't even reach the end mark. And also you have to take into consideration that weight plateaus are very normal. Also, if you're chronically dieting and dieting every day of the week for weeks and months on end, you're not giving yourself any time to actually implement diet breaks, implement refeeds, implement practice peak weeks. So again, like you you don't need to rush it, you know, like Mm. this is a big deal. I respect this sport so much and man, like, uh, yeah, it's, it's not like a marathon, you know, it's not like, oh, I just, I want, I want to try, you know, see how I go. Because again, if you've never run and then you go and try to run 42 kilometers, you probably will, you know, twist your ankle, have to stop halfway, you know, get heat stroke, have a terrible experience and then tell everyone like, Marathons suck, man. <laughs> Never do one. They're yeah. terrible. <laughs> That's kind of my opinion of marathons anyway. Yeah. But. <laughs> but I guess, you know, sum it up, right? 
get a coach early so that you can get a solid starting body composition hopefully build that through an improvement season you know and then be able to go through that pre-prep phase and then a solid prep phase really give yourself time to plan ahead and work alongside a coach so that you can develop a relationship together of course in a partnership but so that they can really get to know your body right it's mm. really difficult if you come to a coach 20 weeks out from a show and even if you have an exceptional starting body composition and of course that happens right finances are to take into account here like coaching isn't cheap so it makes sense if someone's like okay i'll take the reins during my improvement season but like well, that's I'll- why you have a single consult and then mm. maybe do that every one or two months yeah and i think that's much preferable than being in the dark mm-hmm. then you can come to a coach for prep yeah. um or I'll, yeah that's that's how I would structure it. Yeah, because it's putting a lot of pressure on the coach, right? If it's 20 weeks out and there's a clock ticking and they don't actually really know anything about your body, how you actually respond to certain protocols and stuff, man, it's just, it's pushing the limits, you know? So, yeah. So, yeah, I would, to sum it up, as Tiara was trying to do, <laughs> um, if you should prep, I would say from a very good position, fitness-wise, mindset-wise, and personally, I think it should be that next step. So, if you're at the bottom of a ladder, you don't just jump to the top. You have mm-hmm. to walk up the ladder. And yeah. I guess competing is that final rung of the ladder. Mm-hmm. So it would be with the foundation of everything else. Imagine like rock climbing. You know, and you get to you get to the top of the wall and you get to ding the bell, right? But you still got to climb all the rocks, man. <laughs> and I guess when to compete, I would just say, try and make it as easy as possible for yourself. Like Chiara and I, we made it pretty hard for our pre- first prep. We were in the middle of our master's degree and <laughs> on placement. So there's no need to make it harder than it should be. So if you know you have a busy semester at uni or work is hectic, then wait till that's, that busy period is over. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's, it's gonna be a financial strain. You're gonna have to invest more time into training, preparing your meals. Um, you're gonna have lower energy. So do it in, in a time of year that is a bit easier. Maybe if you're a student, do it so you can coincide it with some of the Christmas holidays, which is like two or three yeah. months in Australia. Or if same deal as if, if you're working, if you can take any leave. Because like at the end of the day, sure, it's hard, but you don't want to make it harder. And that's, yeah. that's a big difference between our prep this time and last time. Mm-hmm. We have the luxury of, of working from home, which does make things a lot less stressful and it's going to bring a better result because of that oh absolutely that's such a good point you know like man just planning ahead for these things and there's no doubt we all live a life right there's always going to be a social event here or there but like do try to look ahead on your calendar and remember it's it's quite a few months right it's not weeks it's like the next five or six months like how many weddings do you have coming up how many family events and work trips and all of these different things do you have coming up Ask yourself from the get-go, can I truly commit to this? Because it is a huge commitment, right? You can't enter a comp prep and then start making excuses. Like if you're in, like I would argue that you're all in, right? You're committed to getting every training session in every single week, right? And you're not skipping exercises, right? You're hitting your steps. You're planning ahead so that you can nail your nutrition. You're making sure that you can prioritize your sleep and get enough sleep every single night. So you have to be confident that yes, I'm all in. I'm committed to this because like if you're gonna do it half-ass man like don't do it do something else mm. yeah there's lots of other fitness endeavors yes you can go kayaking on the brisbane river <laughs> yeah if you want. yeah go kayaking <laughs> you don't have to show up at chandler and you know like get on stage in trunks like <laughs> uh but um yeah let's let's Ho- move on to the next question all right hopefully that answers it okay so this next question says 
Do you always opt for a recovery diet or are there ever cases where you would actually do a reverse diet? Cool. This is a good question and we can relate it to a few different things like competing and non-competing. I'm going to quickly sum up probably when I wouldn't reverse diet or when I would versus wouldn't reverse diet for a non-competitor. Basically, I wouldn't do a recovery diet at all for a non-competitor or I I won't blanket statement that I'll say most of the time I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because most people who diet normally, they just don't get uh, lean enough to warrant a recovery diet. Mm -hmm. A recovery diet being you gain a fairly decent amount of weight back quite quickly in the first month or two post diet. Yeah. So it's around five to 10% of your stage weight within the first four to eight weeks post show. Mm. And I would say if I just have to very subjectively say when I think a recovery diet would be more appropriate is if you get below 10% 10% body fat mm-hmm. and is it if you start getting some disruption hormonally so if you yeah I don't know, get sluggish during the day if you lose libido all that kind of stuff well yeah if your blood tests are coming back that you have low testosterone yeah, low estrogen blood tests which in Australia I would encourage people who are competing to to do that mm-hmm. so that's kind of when we would do it for someone who is a non-competitor I think most of the time people don't get lean enough to need a recovery diet. They can basically just go back to people like saying maintenance calories. I don't really like using that frame because is it maintenance before you started dieting? Is it your current maintenance? I think I always think of it as in your new maintenance. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't like numbers are changing, right? It's a moving target. I don't think like, oh, you were maintaining on this much when you were 10 kilograms right heavier like i take that into account and i'm like well obviously that's not your current maintenance right (laughs) yeah yeah totally but at the same time like it depends on your goal like if if it's someone who wants to gain muscle after their diet then Mm -hmm. i'm not going to put them on maintenance calories because then they'll maintain they Mm -hmm. need to start gaining weight again or if if it's someone who uh, isn't as focused on gaining muscle and has just finished a big weight loss journey then we do need to find a way to maintain without gaining back body fat Mm -hmm. So, but that's the wonderful thing of, of resistance training is that you can gain weight post weight loss and some of it can be muscle. And then you can kind of stay within that bandwidth of maybe like one to five kilos off your end goal and kind of keep on recomping and doing that, that gain and cut, gain and cut. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you have to cut every month. You could be every year, gain five kilos in a year and then do a little cut again. And I think, I don't know, personally, I think if it was me or after working with quite a few people, that's kind of the way to go rather than trying really hard and get really getting really disheartened when you gain like one kilo after your final lowest point and then you're, you're stuck in that situation. Like then you have to diet again to lose that kilo. No, or- it's silly. And I always give my girls a heads up for that. You know, if like we've just gone through a big dieting phase, right? And obviously carbohydrates have been on the lower end glycogen's been on the lower end and then you do bring them back up to more of a maintenance level to aim to maintain that new body weight but let's say their new maintenance right you're trying to bring them up by like let's say 400 500 calories right that's from pretty much purely carbohydrates mm. that's going to be 100 to 125 grams of carbs and we know that each gram of carb right will retain around three milliliters of water in the body so i give them a heads up i'm like you know we reached uh 50 kilograms 
but that was a very depleted you at 50 kilograms. In this first week, don't freak out if you get up to 51, right? Because it's probably just a little bit of fluid shifts and I want you to be sending me photos because no doubt you're probably going to fill out and you're probably actually going to look better, which is the ultimate goal, guys, right? We're all really wanting to just feel confident in our own bodies and really just look and feel our best. Yeah. I guess the last thing I'll say more like of my, how I feel about this sort of stuff is because I've been resistance training for so long and it, it is very, very normal. Like I'm almost ingrained to think that weight gain is very normal for me, Mm -hmm. which it is, but it's not for the average person who doesn't train. Like if they gain two kilos, it's two kilos of largely body fat over time. Like if they gain two kilos in a year, it's going to be fat. Yeah. Um, whereas two kilos for me, like one, I would probably gain that in two months. Mm-hmm. And same here. <laughs> it's yeah, it's uh, it's not going to be all fat, that's for sure. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a crazy way to to how people approach gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And that's it, why, like, it's interesting because uh, you know, people who aren't necessarily involved in bodybuilding, but people who know you, like family members, right? And let's see, you see family members every few weeks or every few months. As a bodybuilder, your body's always changing. So mm-hmm. they're like, whoa, man, last time I saw you, you know, like you were a, you were a little bit like chunkier. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you've lost some weight or like, oh man, like <laughs> you've gained a little bit of weight. Like they're always seeing you at a different phase, which I almost just find funny. Like yeah. I'm at such peace with just changing my body year round because I, mm-hmm. I love my body. I love what I do. I love how I feel. And every single phase, it has its perks. And I just ride off those perks. Mm-hmm. Right. But I just laugh because, yeah, compared to the average person who's most people, eh, I don't know, most people, right? Like some people maintain, some people gain weight, some people lose weight. But for bodybuilders, like we're always just going around and around. Yeah. (laughs) But I I have a question. So when would it be appropriate for a bodybuilder then, Jack, to actually do a reverse diet rather than a recovery diet? So I know you want to talk about a specific point. So Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll address the other point quickly which you probably don't know what it is oh okay so i would say a reverse diet is maybe more appropriate maybe after a mini cut Mm -hmm. when you don't you want to get back to gaining weight quickly but you at the same time you don't want to gain weight as aggressively as a a recovery diet Mm -hmm. so you might just like a reverse diet you would probably jump up to maintenance straight away and then you would drip feed enough calories to then gain the requisite amount required Mm -hmm. so what the traditional reverse diet is very, very, very slow, yeah. unnecessarily slow. And the thing is, is that with a re- with a traditional reverse diet, like you're still dieting, yeah. right? Like when guys, when we use the term maintenance calories, right? We mean what at whatever body composition you are right now, the amount of calories that you require to maintain that specific body composition, yeah. right? People are like, you would bump someone right back up to maintenance. <gasps> and I'm like, yeah, that's right. You would, you the know? next morning, you'd be the same weight. <laughs> you'd you be might, the same freaking person, man. <laughs> you might have gained some fluid due to carbohydrates, but. Yeah, so think about terminology here. So if someone's like, man, I went right back up to maintenance. I gained three kilograms. I'm like, sorry, dude, you weren't at maintenance. <laughs> But that, that's why I said mini cut because mini cut you're you're not you won't be dieting once you go back to maintenance. Whereas in a reverse diet, after you've done a show, you're still going to be in that very depleted state mm-hmm. hormonally, me- mentally as well. So I'll let you take over when you might use a reverse diet in a prep. Yeah. So I guess the appropriate way to use a reverse diet in a prep is if you got ready early. 
right? You ticked that box. You're like, man, I'm ready, you know? And for example, you could, let's say that you had quite a few shows lined up, which I definitely encourage, man. Like if you're going through a comp prep, make the most of it. Like hopefully don't, if it's, if it is up to you and you can financially afford it, of course, and the timing works out and stuff like try to do more than one show, make the most well, that, of it. That's one of those things where it comes down to our, the first question mm-hmm. you need to prepare. Yeah. So you need to expect to be able to do two or three shows and have the time frame to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the goal would be either to be obviously ready by your first show. Definitely. <laughs> That's definitely, you know, get tick that box. So definitely be ready by your first show. But you know, even some competitors, like I know Brandon Kempter is a huge fan of really getting people ready early, mm. you know, and they're ready before their first show. And then you can start reversing into the show. So for example, imagine that you achieved your stage look either by your first show or two weeks out from your very first show, and you've still got more shows ahead. The way that you would reverse is you wouldn't necessarily bring someone obviously right back up to maintenance. But like you said, you know, you start trickling in calories so that over time they can start eating more, you know, across Mm. those weeks leading up, which is only just going to make them feel so much better. You know, like when you're at the depths of prep, right? And your coach gives you like an extra 50 grams of carbs per day, you're like, oh man, this is nice. You know, like the little things make a difference. And it works especially well for people with adaptive metabolism. Mm-hmm. So like you will give them more food and they will, they might even lose weight due to that compensatory effect. Yeah. Like they'll move more or they'll, uh, they'll stay the same weight. And that's mm-hmm. like the perfect situation where you might you bump their low days up by 50 grams of carbs and their weight doesn't change. Mm-hmm. 50 grams of carbs is a lot in that, in that stage of prep. Yeah, it is, man. Like that's an extra bowl of oats. <laughs> so... That would be a wonderful position where at, at the same time, you're probably not going to feel that much different, mm-hmm. but it will be nice to still eat more food and it prepares you nicely for finishing prep as mm-hmm. well. And it's just motivating too, because one, you have a little bit more energy, but also extra carbohydrates. And again, when we're reversing right or we're bumping someone's food up, you don't really tinker around with protein and fats too much Mm. like calories predominantly will come from carbs because we know that they're the main energy source that we use during anaerobic work and lifting weights and they just make you feel your best they're going to make you the most energetic but you're going to start to fill out a little bit more and on days where you are used to just looking flat as a tack in the gym you know you're doing shoulder press you're like where the hell are my delts? You know, like, are they just gone? Have I just lost all my muscle? Right? Like you start to fill out again in the gym and you're like, Whoa, like these past like eight weeks, I've been looking so flat on this, this particular training session. Now I'm feeling really good. I'm filling out and can see veins and that's motivating. Like you're doing laterals in the, in the mirror and you're like, I never want to stop doing lateral raises. (laughs) Yeah. And it is a, it is a great phenomenon, Mm -hmm. but it is tough to achieve because that's the thing you have to work so goddamn hard to get to that point. Yeah. Because either you have to get ready for your first show early or for, in our case for season a, we're going to have like potentially six weeks. Is it between our mm-hmm. first and last show? Yeah. Or even more for me. Cause I'm doing IFBB. So yeah, like, that's true. It's been so, like three months of competing. Mm. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll, we'll both be ready for our first show, which yeah. means, Oh, again, it's out of the question. Yeah. Like we are going to be ready. It's not even, it's not even, it's not a, even question. a question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've done too much planning not to be ready. That would have something really messed up with, would have to have to happen. <laughs> um, but that means that if, if I get ready for my first show and I think 
like I might look at the competition and say, could I push a little bit harder or is it worth pushing a bit harder? Mm -hmm. Which I don't think, I'm hoping that it's not because Mm -hmm. I'm going to be coming with pretty damn good conditioning. Uh, So at that point, I could then reverse to the last Mm -hmm. show and knowing me and my metabolism should be quite a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So you just start tinkering in, like just trickling in more calories, right? And just, again, you're feeling better. You're looking better. Energy availability you, is better. Better training say- sessions. I would argue that if you have, obviously if you have more fuel coming in, better training sessions, especially because man, near the end of a prep, it's like walking on a tightrope, right? If you don't manage things well, you are definitely at your greatest risk of losing lean tissue because mm. you're so lean, right? Again, if you've worked hard to get to that condition, but if you've got more food coming in and reversing better training, that's going to provide a much better stimulus and fuel to maintain that lean mass. So you don't like, you know, kind of just wilt away between shows and just keep dieting too hard. Mm, totally. The other thing I would kind of question you on is the feeling. Like, mm-hmm. I think you probably would feel a bit better due to the more food. Yeah. Like that would create more, maybe more endorphins. It's probably different, you know, uh, like... It's, it's different between you and I because you get much, much leaner than me, right? Mm. You get much leaner than me. And I guess perhaps for me, I'm just, I'm a very happy and energetic person in general. But I guess and I'm like, not. <laughs> no, you're definitely happy. You know what I mean? But one, you get exceptionally to lower levels of body fat than I do. Uh, but also, our, I feel our like. Our glutes don't quite look the same. <laughs> I feel like acutely, like I respond personally so acutely to an influx of energy, right? Like a low day versus a high day for me is like night and day, right? Like mm. low days, I'm still a happy person, but definitely have low, lower energy. On a high day, I'm bouncing, I'm happy. And like, again, it's motivating. If you're looking better in the gym, if you can pump out more reps with the same weight or go up and weight or something, I, I love my training and I respond very acutely to that. And I'm like, this is awesome. I feel so good because I'm performing really well. And I can, I can see my hard work, man. I can see my veins and my striations and my muscles are bulging. Like I made it. So like, it's not necessary. It's more the psychology around it. You know, it's like seeing like someone remember Jack on show day, you know, someone taking a photo of you. Right. And they show it to your like, wow, like I, I made it. This is actually what I look like today. Mm. Yeah. So it's really the psychology, you know, you're like, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And that psychology can mean a lot at that mm-hmm. stage. So yeah. But chronically I understand where you're coming from. Like the low energy, it sucks. Yeah. And like, that's why, again, you're on, like, you're only in that body composition for a short period of time. And that's why you recover from it and you enter into a recovery diet. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think uh, we've done well for mm-hmm. these two questions and I think because we kind of fleshed those out a lot, we'll probably leave the questions there for today. Yeah. How's that guys? We used to answer like 10 questions an episode. Now it's just mm. like hella discussions. <laughs> I think we did get some feedback at the beginning that people preferred the fleshed out stuff, mm, Yeah, it's which, good. Is, which is good. Because I guess we're kind of like almost coincidentally just like answering small little questions throughout. Mm. Yeah, that's that's very true. All right, but moving into the last question of the day. So I guess this is our third question of the day. Jack, what did you learn this week? So just quickly, I I did a new style of deloading this week where I kept volume similar but lowered intensity. And I found that even just by lowering intensity across the first like one or two big movements, I could then still perform these subsequent exercises at my usual weight, but it would be uh, less effort because Mm -hmm. I would have so much less fatigue and 
that style of deloading, it does require a bit more effort because you have to be in the gym more often. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually in a deload, I just kind of like to do three sessions, pretty chilled, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but there's no doubt that this has been better in terms of retaining performance, which uh, is very important throughout this prep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I learned that this style of deloading is, is going to be more beneficial down the line. And it's probably something I'll continue to implement mm-hmm. throughout off seasons now. Yeah. Hell, look, all those little things we learned in uni, they really work, eh? <laughs> yep. What about you though? What did you learn? This week, I learned that the game of chess is actually taken very seriously around the world. But uh, Jack and I watched this awesome Netflix series called The Queen's Gambit. It's so good, guys. Cannot recommend it enough. Like, it's about this girl, you know, and she grows up in an orphanage and she learns how to play chess and she becomes like a world champion chess player. But it's done so well, you know, it's like set in the 60s. I'm always so impressed with movies, how they make everything just look like you know, old, right? Mm. And vintage, like the cars and the hotels and the costumes. I'm just like, wow, the effort. It's, it's amazing. But anyway, cannot recommend that enough. It's gotten one of like the highest ratings on IMBD, right? It's gotten very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 9.5 or something. Yeah. So the Queen's Gambit on Netflix, definitely watch that. But I just learned, like, I never really thought that much about chess. I used to play as a kid, like, because I grew up in a family of six kids, right? And, like, on long car drives, we actually used to have these little magnetic chess boards. So, like, two of us would each play. Um, And, like, you know, you move the little magnets and stuff. I can't even remember how to play chess now. (laughs) I was actually part of the chess club in elementary school. But anyway, I didn't realize that people around the world took it so seriously and that people actually watch chess games. Like, there will be two people playing chess and there'll be like a crowd around them like watching the board and what I thought was really cool is that there is someone behind each player and they've got like a big billboard that looks like a chess board well um, this, behind some them. of this is it's a fiction show I think yeah so. I, but I would imagine we'll have to google it you know uh, but I'd imagine this is how it actually plays out because you know the people who are observing the chess game right they can't exactly like really they might have to get like binoculars and like be like oh where do they move the night or something like that but behind them they've got this big board and the person is actually moving the chess pieces on the board where the player actually moved them mm. so um it's really neat but anyway i learned that i didn't i didn't realize that chess was like so taken so seriously around the world for so oh, many I guess decades just like any sport like, like even you wouldn't think pool would be taken serial, seriously no you're right but there's like there's champs yeah there's champs out there man every sport <laughs> yeah crazy but yeah watch the queen's gambit guys it's a very cool show yeah it is yeah yeah maybe we'll have to uh, chess is a cool game like you know and obviously it requires so much just so much intelligence that's something else i learned about it too like Just the intellect that goes Mm. into that game. Remarkable. Anyway, guys. All right. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week. See you guys.